0: For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show-me-state and entering the the show-me-the-money-state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people, because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show-me-the-money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so
1: much. Welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. First off, Randy, how you doing today? I'm doing very well, Jeff. How about you? I am doing fantastic and Jake, how's this fine day finding you?
2: You know, it's good. It's, uh, it's another great day to be alive in the Ozarks.
1: Oh, yeah. As I always say, the last bastion of sanity. Ozarks really are one of the beautiful parts of the country that a lot of people, I don't think, get a chance to see. They're underappreciated, but there is so much to see here. I love going down to Branson and certainly glad to be here with all the fine people of Springfield, Missouri and the surrounding areas. Let's uh, start off the show today, gentlemen, like we do every week, and that's by talking about current events. Some CPI numbers came out. What do you make of those?
2: You know, they came in a little bit hotter than expected, so, you know, the the mainstream media, the White House and Congress and everybody's like, you know, inflation's under control, you know, it's coming back down. Because it was over 9, and now it's 6.4, they're kind of declaring victory. Well, the target is 2%. So we're not exactly home yet, Um, you know, and I think that prematurely declaring victory is a recipe for 1980s-style inflation, and, you know, I don't want any part of that. I don't think anybody else really wants any part of that, but... I think we need to be very careful about giving up on correcting this inflation, and I think that people are going to be surprised that Jerome Powell is not going to give up on inflation. I don't think he's going to change his target. There's a lot of people saying he's going to change his target from 2% to 3% or 4%. He's said explicitly at the last several meetings he is not going to change that target. It's not something he's looking at changing, and he doesn't see anything that would ever make him want to change it. He thinks it's very important to not allow inflation to become entrenched. Mm-hmm. So entrenched means that, kind of what it sounds like, but it gets entrenched by people's expectations of inflation moving to a 4% level, meaning people expect it to go, so it becomes so. You know, They expect inflation to be 4%, so they make it happen. That can also be very dangerous, and it's very hard once inflation becomes entrenched to undo that scenario. And so, again, I think they're working at it. I think they're going to... To get it corrected, I think that they had thought that they had done enough, but these past few reports are showing that, you know, the jobs market is still extremely tight, really made no progress there. And you know, inflation is still well, it's not nine percent. You right. know, six point four is still pretty hot. And oh, I yeah. think that, you know, we may have to raise rates a few more times. There's even some calls that we may even have to go fifty basis points. Wow.
3: Well, I think there's a couple of things we need to throw in here too, Jake. You know, even if we had inflation down at two percent, if you compound that looking forward for thirty years, you know, it really adds a lot to what people have to have to live on in their budget. So talking about retirement as we do here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you start off at about forty thousand Dollars a year, you need nearly $72,000 a year by the time you look at 30 years at 2%. So really, you know, it's important. We can't live at 5 and 6% inflation. That's going to be very difficult for people. And I think that sometimes when we're just talking about these percentages and we don't really equate it to hard dollars and cents in our pocket or what's coming out of our pocket. Right. Uh, You know, it's really important that people take a look at that. And of course, that's something we try to do here all the time.
2: I think also, Randy, that, you know, you had mentioned that after 30 years or so, you would need double the amount at 2%. But at 6%, and we're actually above that right now, but at 6%, you would need six times as much money. So to kind of show you how important it is that we get those down there. I mean, imagine that thirty years from now you need, you know, the average person's making three hundred thousand a year instead of fifty thousand a year. You know, your car would then your average vehicle, which currently is in the forty thousand dollar range new, would at six times that would cost two hundred and forty thousand dollars thirty years from now. Those numbers sound ridiculous, but that's the path that we're on if we don't fix this problem and Again, I I do have confidence that they will fix it. But you have to understand that to fix the problem, we have to create pain. And if you've been listening to this show very long, this is something we've been saying for uh, at least 18 months at this point. And, you know, we still really haven't seen much pain. People are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've seen lots of pain. Well, not like it's going to be if they actually get this thing under control. You know, we're going to have to see unemployment go up meaning people are going to lose their jobs. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's a necessary evil to fix this inflation problem.
1: So if inflation is still where it is today, it's not at the 2% range and these rate hikes have not had the desired effect on that. Do we just keep raising rates, raising rates, raising rates? Or is there something else we can do? Because, you know, this sort of inflation is not sustainable for the average human being.
2: So there's a couple tools that the Fed has in their tool belt. Number one is controlling interest rate policy. So again, for those who are not regular listeners here, let me let me give you the 30-second background here. When we talk about the Fed controlling interest rates, they really control what's called the Fed Funds Rate. That's the rate that the government charges banks to lend money overnight to them for them to meet their reserve requirements. Through that rate, they indirectly control pretty much every other rate on the planet. And so by controlling that Fed funds rate, it controls the rate that banks lend to each other at, that banks lend for housing and cars at that credit card companies lend their money at. And, you know, speaking of credit cards, we're seeing insane amounts of credit card debt per person, and they're just raking the credit cards as fast as they can do it. You know, we blew past the all-time high credit card debt, and it doesn't look like anybody's showing any signs of stopping anytime soon. So they talk about how healthy the consumer is, meaning they have some cash, but they also have record levels of debt. So uh, at some point, you know, they will have to pay that money back and they will have to stop racking
3: it up. Yeah, you know, there's a couple other things I was thinking about, Jeff. You know, what other tools do they have in the toolbox? Well, here's the thing. This would be the thing that would help to cure this problem long term, and that would be, are you ready for this? If Americans in general could become more productive. Hmm. So if we can be more productive, that also drives the cost of things down. So if you combined productivity along with the raising of interest rates, you could uh, really make both ends of that curve meet. Unfortunately, though, the Fed cannot control how productive the average American is. That would be great if they
2: could. But, you know, while Americans in general are pretty productive, there's also a lot of lazy people out there, you know, that could do more as far as that's concerned. The other tool that the Fed has that we need to talk about is they can reduce the size of the balance sheet. So when we talk about the Fed printing money, basically that money gets held on the balance sheet and they expand the balance sheet and then inject that money into the economy. So over the last couple of years, we've printed about six and a half trillion dollars. And so that's expanding the balance sheet. So one thing they could do is they could more aggressively reduce the size of the balance sheet, which they are doing right now at the pace of about $95 billion a month. Which sounds like a lot, but given how big the balance sheet is at $8 trillion, you know, it's going to take a while for that to spend down. That would definitely put the brakes on things, but it would be much more painful and much more abrupt feeling than the interest rates that operate on a lag.
1: We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about current events, in particular the stubborn inflation figures here. Let's bring it back to our listeners here, Randy and Jake. You talked about the amount of money that you need to survive on if inflation. Keeps up at this pace. If someone is thinking about retiring right now or retiring in the next year or two, are you dramatically going to change those figures that they need to uh, live on to account for this six percent inflation rate?
3: Well, obviously we do have to factor in what's going on with inflation. But Jeff, I'll tell you, we're not going to be able to ever plan for six and seven and eight and ten percent compound inflation. No economy can no person can that's impossible to do because we just don't have the means to create that kind of profit and growth in portfolios and I mean, if anybody tells you they can, you just can't do that because right. everything has a basis and everything has to grow from a basis or grow up out of something. So, you know, we have to get inflation under control. And I think that Jerome Powell, that's why he's got to get to 2%. He knows that 2%, you know, if we could really get there and live there, that's a manageable rate. We can build productivity through people, through AI, through computers, through machines, through robots. You know, to help us do a lot of the things that are, that will fill the gaps in the future. But yes, we always factor in inflation to answer your question more directly, but can we do it at 6 and 8? No. No, we really can't. Nobody can plan for that. So, one of the things that we're, you know, we're seeing right now is people are saying, "Well, you know, can I retire?" The thing I would say is that during some of the Trump years and looking back over our shoulder, you know, really we had 40 years of pretty good times. Yes, right. we had a couple of big downturns in there, but you know, the bond market was really high in the 80s, so anybody that owned 30-year bonds looking back over our shoulders made great money interest rate-wise, and they also made great appreciation on their bonds. Now we've turned that corner. Now we're getting some decent interest rates, but people that had long-term bonds have seen some of those get devalued. We're also seeing now that, you know, companies are having a hard time making their earnings, you know, uh, projections, and, and as we see earnings come in. So we think that while Jerome is not done raising rates, he has got a good start on things, and things are going the right direction. We just want him to go ahead and finish the job, which on one hand sounds cruel and unfeeling, but on the other side of that is good things. We just have to get there.
1: So the good news I've seen is that some of the more safe investments are really paying a lot better than they used to. I'm seeing some pretty good rates on CDs and money markets these days.
3: Yeah, CDs, money markets are up in the 4, 45 4.8, I guess I would say, in some cases I'm seeing now. And if he continues to push rates, you know, pretty soon we'll have 5% CDs and 5% money markets. I
2: right. would say, too, that you know there's some banks that are offering good CD rates, but I do talk to clients all the time where their bank is paying them 35 basis points, uh, meaning 0.35% on a money market still. Right. And so if that's you and you have some money laying around, we can help you get access to some higher paying 35 to 4.5% range safe, liquid money, so you can talk to us about
1: that. So, with money market rates and CD rates, as you said, they're about 4% or so, and inflation is 6.97%. Do you look to other forms of investments to offset this inflation that might give you a little bit better return?
3: So, you know, right now, if we look back over our shoulder, Jeff, you know, in uh, 2022, the overall stock market, the broad market, the S&P 500 was down 19.44%. So, you know, the only bright shining star through all of that was the oil and gas industry made some money through 2022. Basically, everything else pretty well lost money. Now, we've seen a little bounce and everything looks good because if you go out right now and you look at a year-to-date S&P 500 chart starting the first of the year, you know, we're up 4%. So probably at this point, and maybe a little more, we've been as high as maybe 7% up this year, but what we didn't remember was the fact we were down nearly 20 the year before. So depending on where you measure from determines how you, you look at, at your returns. So to answer your question though, you know, right now, what we're seeing is, We're not done probably with the downturn in the market. In fact, I was listening to a guy just uh, on Tuesday morning this past week that was saying he thinks the S&P 500 may go down to yet 3,100, and we're currently around 4,000, which is roughly another 15% down. And so we're telling people right now that you know what you need to be, and we're gonna talk more about this in the program, I think, is you need to be cautious with what you spend. You need to spend only probably what you need to spend right now. If you are not involved in some of the fixed uh, interest rate products that are out there now that are paying better than they've paid probably in the last... 10 or 15 years. That's something we should probably be looking at. I know in our portfolios we're looking right now for safety. We're looking for return and dividends with strong companies, with good balance sheets, with good reporting. And that's what we're doing to try to combat inflation as much as possible.
1: We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about the current state of affairs in the United States in particular inflation not yet under control and how we combat that with our income plan going into retirement. If you'd like to sit down with Randy and Jake and talk about your individual situation if you're retiring this year next year if you're already retired maybe you have a portfolio from someone else or a plan you want a second opinion on that randy and jake are very happy to do that this is a no cost no obligation no judgment financial plan to get yours call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. again no cost no obligation and no judgment 417-889-7233 for your complimentary retirement roadmap or your complimentary financial plan you can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com floydfinancialgroup.com hope you're having a great day thanks for joining us here on show be the money randy and jake will take a quick break be right back with more of our show right here on 104.1 fm ksgf
0: where springfield comes to talk People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and
3: Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to talk about costs, budgets, and recessionary
1: pressures. And Randy, I may be alone in this, but as a result of these inflationary figures, I've taken a look at my budget and I've cut some costs. And I've done a lot of things to reduce my outgo. And it seems that with people just charging on credit cards like crazy, a lot of people are are really not reacting to this inflationary period that we're in right now. Am I the only one? Am I doing the right thing and everybody else is doing the wrong thing?
3: Well, Jeff, I think you're, even though it seems like maybe you're alone, I can assure you that you are not. So... What is interesting about this, though, that you bring up is, you know, anytime we cut a subscription to a streaming service, used to be it would have been a magazine, right? Right. People even buy magazines anymore. I, I don't, don't know. I anyway. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it used to be that sort of thing. But if it's a streaming service or you're, or you're serious, XM radio, you've decided to cut it off or you decided to slash your cable bill, whatever it may be, you realize you're part of the problem and you're creating a recession, right? I am? Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you. I didn't mean to do that to the country.
3: Well, as a... As a group, and and actually, here's the thing, Jeff. I mean, it has to happen that way, and it's part of the progression of what really the Federal Reserve banker, Jerome Powell, is trying to accomplish. There is one thing that came up today that was really quite disheartening for me that I have to throw in here, and it has nothing to do with budgets and recession. Okay. And that is the fact that they're closing Fire in the Hole at Silver Dollar City.
1: Oh, you're kidding. Fire in the Hole at Silver Dollar City is going away? That's been in the agenda for
3: quite a while. They're actually going to
2: put something else where it goes. Are you kidding So Fire
1: in the Hole... Even fire in the hole
3: up. is not safe. Yeah, All that's right. right. In 1972 was when fire in the hole was opened. I would have really? been 15 years old. I probably told too much information yeah, there. but TMI. <laughs>
1: but
0: anyway, TMI. Uh,
3: but anyway, I had to throw that in there about fire in the hole while I was thinking about it because I just remember writing that right over and over. But back to costs and budgeting, you know, that's when Silver Dollar City was a brand new concept still. It right. was in 1972. But back to costs and budgeting, we're seeing a lot of people that are coming in saying, hey, we're figuring out how to cut corners and things where we can. And this would not be the first time that people have done this. We've seen this over and over and over. And, you know, the people that come in in retirement and probably the ones that are the least stressed during this time are the ones that have learned to save. And I even have, and this is crazy, we have a lot of retirees that still every month in retirement are trying to save $500 to $1,000 a month out of the budget they already get. Now, we don't recommend that you go ahead and take taxable dollars out of an IRA that you don't need. But if you are, I guess that's what I'm really saying is it's the mindset of people that they need to save money, that they need to be saving up for that rainy day. And we're going to have a lot of people out there that have not saved for the rainy day and the ones that we see that are running their credit cards and things up. And I'm not talking to our audience here for the most part that's listening. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that are listening to this program today are savers. They're probably 50 years and up. They're still in the Accumulation phase or right near the accumulation phase of their life where they are getting ready to retire They've raised a family. So they've had a budget. Maybe they don't have one now, you know They've had lots of extra costs. They have put kids through college. They've you know bought them cars They've done all those different things Maybe they paid off their house now and they have more money than ever before but now is not the time to let your guard down Because as we look forward things are going to cost more and while we are getting this inflation under control Control, looking to slash is not a bad thing. Now I'm not saying that you need to forego vacations and if you need a new car, not to buy one. I'm just saying take an extra look, see at what you're doing. It never hurts to delay just a little bit. You know, delayed gratification can be a good thing. Right. But as we look forward through this, and, and when we build plans for retirees, especially new ones coming in, we're always looking at what is your budget. Many times when people come in the first time to see us, they haven't thought about a budget in a lot of years because again, they've paid off lots of things they're Advanced in their careers. They're making more money than they've ever made in their life. And so they haven't had a budget for a while. And when we tell people, hey, we got to figure out a budget, it's not that we're trying to put you in a corner. We just want you to be aware of what it is that you're spending. And then we can build a plan around what we need to spend and what we want to spend. And that way we can have a really effective retirement planning strategy that builds in all aspects from good markets to bad markets to inflationary markets, all the above.
1: And I think that's really the key there is to have a plan that does account for unexpected things coming up in your life and those unexpected ex- expenses, but certainly inflation, not the least of those. Read an article the other day, you were talking about new cars and buying a car if you need to replace a car. And, it said that new cars these days are only for rich people because they're so expensive that the average consumer buys used cars these days.
2: Yeah, it should have said that for the next six months or so, new cars are only for rich (laughs) people because what's going to happen here, you mark my words, what's going to happen here is they're going to produce way too many cars. And the rebates and all that kind of stuff is going to be at all-time highs. It's already happening. It is. You're already seeing some of it, but I'm just telling you, it's going to get... They're going to way overdo it, and they're going to way overdo it right as the economy starts to give way. And they're going to be giving these cars away, practically. Which is going to really give a lot of relief in the used car market and other places. You know, we get asked all the time about, uh, I need to buy a house. Should I buy a house now or should I wait? Should I, I need to buy a car? Should I buy a car now or wait? And I would just say that uh, every day you wait on either one of those things is going to get you a, a little bit better price, and a okay. little bit better deal, a little yeah. bit better interest rate. Yeah. And I think that if you need to do it, do it. But I'm just saying if you have the ability to wait, you, you will. it will pay you to wait at this point.
1: For people who are cutting back on expenses and they're doing what I've done, maybe they've gone from three cars to two cars or two cars to uh, one car, they're really saving and they're planning for retirement. Are you finding that despite all of this, I'm reading that even though they are really adjusting their outgo plan, that people are still falling behind in retirement planning?
3: Yeah, I would say that that is true and and I don't think that's people's fault necessarily. We just don't do a very good job in this country at helping people to understand how to invest, what investing is and what they own and you know, as we talk to people uh, when they fund their 401k at work, they said, "Well, you know, I read the returns out there and I talked to my buddy and that's what he was doing, so that's what I did and I just don't look at the statements anymore." And so we hear a lot of that and that's really I guess sad would be the word that we don't have a system and a plan in place to help educate people one of the things that we always want to do when we sit with people that are nearing or already in retirement as we're building portfolios and things and a lot of you listening today you will know that this is true that we go through every nut and bolt that you want us to and will allow us to explaining why we invest money the way we do and why we use the tools that we do and you know those tools are ever changing they don't remain the same, uh, you know, year in and year out. But we want people to be educated. And if you're educated and you really understand how things work, you can make much better decisions, you know. And, and so we really want people to be in touch with that as much as possible. And then we like to run regular reviews that helps people stay connected to their money and the economy and the market and what's going
1: on. I've often heard that at Floyd Financial Group, you folks have the heart of a teacher rather than that of a salesman. Can you explain that philosophy and why that works for you?
3: It's funny you bring that up because I was up at my whiteboard the other day. We have these, for those of you who have ever been here, we have these big 96-inch whiteboards on wheels. Uh-huh. And we use erasable markers and things up there because we always have a lot of explaining to do. And, you know, when people can hear it and see it, well, it makes more sense, right? And more of that, that it soaks in, you know, it's that tactile learning what is it you know you hear you see you touch you know all those different things Mm -hmm. so i was up there and i was explaining this deal and this lady goes wow you should be a teacher.
1: (laughs) That was just yesterday. Yeah.
3: (laughs) So it's funny that you bring that up, but it's not that we're trying to be teachers as much as we just want people to
1: understand and be, you know, connected to their money and their investments. Is that a commonality that people just don't understand their investments? I mean, if you don't understand something, you can't really make it an optimal outcome.
3: Right, exactly. And I think that we see that a lot here where people come in and, and they say, you know, I don't know what that statement says. They got to, you know, from wherever they come in, they say that they've never been over it with me. They just tell me this is how I should be invested. So many times we end up, you know, helping people to understand what they're invested in and help help them to understand how to read a statement the first time where that really c- becomes clear to them. Because, again, if you aren't careful, and some companies are much worse than others. Some companies have very simple statements. Other ones, I think they worked at it to right. make it difficult. <laughs> and, and you and you got everything all jumbled up all the time. But we like to help people to get to where they can really see what's going on and understand that.
1: And I've heard some financial advisors, when you go to them, they'll just tell you what to do and they'll say, you don't need to know. I'm the only one that needs to know this. And really, that is the wrong way to go about it. When you have the heart of a teacher, I think people respect you more. They understand you more. And as you said, there really is no judgment. You don't judge people simply because they don't understand what you're talking about. You explain it to them, right?
3: Absolutely. You know, it's just like, I'm not a dentist. So if you went in and had somebody open their mouth and I looked in there, I wouldn't know what to do. You know, right. My brother-in-law was an orthodontist. He could look mm-hmm. inside a mouth and go, well, we need to do this, that, and that. I just can't do that. I'm not a carpenter. I, I can't build things. I I don't have a talented artistic bone in my body, but <laughs> lots of other people do that could teach me a lot about that. And so everybody has their forte and what they're good at and uh, what they're experienced in. And and so we kind of stick to doing what we do best here, and that's financial planning and retirement planning.
1: So don't be intimidated. Don't be concerned if you don't have a really good understanding of how your finances work. That's what Randy and Jake are there for at Floyd Financial Group is to help you understand and design a plan so that you not only survive retirement, but you also thrive in retirement. These days, Randy and Jake, I mean, is it possible to thrive in retirement with the right plan?
3: you know, it is still possible to retire and do well with predictability. Now, Am I going to tell you that it's all roses and if you retire right now, next year your portfolio is going to be up 20%? No, I'm not going to tell you that because nobody has that crystal ball and nobody knows what the future holds exactly. However, we do have ways to build portfolios that will give you the certainty that you know that you can retire and if we stay within the budgets that we set up and the plan that we set up, you're not going to run yourself out of money. And when markets do turn around, and they will, while it may not seem like it right now, they will that we'll be able to recover and probably even go back north of where we started over the next 2 or 3 years. So, it's just important that people have a plan and understand how they're going to be drawing on their money, how their money has an opportunity to earn right now versus what it's going to be in the future because right now things are a little tough, but they will be better in the future.
1: So, if you're thinking you can't retire right now or you can't retire in the next couple of years, you may want to think again because where there's a will there is a way and Randy Jacob Floyd Financial Group will find that way for you. Once again, if you're listening to this program, you'd like to get in and sit down, talk to Randy and Jake about your visions, your goals, your dreams for retirement. All you've got to do is call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233 for your complimentary opportunity to get on the path to retirement, a retirement that could be everything that you've hoped that it could be. And many times, Randy and Jake are the bearers of good news. You think you can't retire? They come and run some numbers, do some some calculations, do some analysis, and uh, they will tell you, you could retire right now if you want to. So if you want a happy surprise, if you're a glass half full sort of person, you want to talk to Randy and Jake, again, they have the hearts of teachers, not of salespersons. Call 417 417 417-889-7233. Do yourself a favor and do it as soon as you can. You can also log on this weekend if you want to floydfinancialgroup.com. Find out what the firm is all about, floydfinancialgroup.com, and request your complimentary retirement roadmap there. Floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with more of Show Me The Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF where Springfield comes to talk.
0: Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Show Me The Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd.
3: Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Randy and Jake, and this is Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about this thing called the 4% rule, referring to can you withdraw 4% from your portfolio? adjusted for inflation each year and survived 30 years
1: yeah and the four percent rule has been around for a while i've heard about it i've heard about the three percent rule the two percent rule the five percent rule and the six percent rule it sort of seems like a moving target is it a moving target or should you really shoot optimally for a four percent withdrawal rate you know here's
3: what i would say jeff i mean it's it's has moved around over the years because there were people you know looking back over our shoulder the last few years that were saying well no it's not four percent anymore it's Three and a half. Then there were those that said, well, no, it's two and a half. And depending on which investment advisor and analyst that you talk to and how they feel a retiree should be invested will directly affect that number. So basically, let's talk about what the 4% rule is. So here we are, we've worked a lifetime. 35 to 50 years for a lot of people out there. We've saved our money, and now we come to this point to where, okay, we're going to turn on Social Security. That gives me about 30% of what I'm used to making. Now I've got to rely upon my savings, my 401k or whatever you might be invested in. Maybe it's a savings account or whatever, and a CD or bonds or whatever, and I've got to now be able to live on that, and how much should I withdraw? And so this 4% rule was basically what it says is, you know, they're, they're going to rely upon in this situation, generally speaking, what's called the 60-40 portfolio or maybe a 50-50 portfolio. So a 60-40 portfolio is where you own 60% stock or equities and then 40% in bonds or the debt of companies. So when we look at bonds, they generally pay us an interest rate uh, that's normally a little better than maybe a dividend rate from a stock. And then when we own equity, of course, we're looking at maybe dividend payments and growth in that stock to provide a income now what do we know about the stock market and the bond market well, Jeff, it changes yeah. every day, right? Right. And so looking back over our shoulder, if we wanted to look at this from a very large 30,000-foot view perspective and look at it over 30 or 40 years, you know, the bond market has gone from where 10-year Treasuries paid 15% down to 0.53% and now back up to about 3.5%. So while all that variation was going on and – also, during that same time frame, the stock market has had years where it's grown as much as 30% and where it's been negative as much as 50% a couple of times, right? Right. So when you start to figure out what kind of an annual percentage makes sense for me to withdraw, I mean, it really is kind of a football thing. So what this 4% rule is, is they've looked back over their shoulder and they've you know looked back at all the historical returns and things and they figured out, well, you know, the 4% rule... Adjusted for inflation each year. Now, that's when they were looking at inflation rates of, you know, 2% and things like that, or less than 2%. Is the 4% rule a hard and fast rule is the question I think you asked? The right. answer to that is no. Right. It's a moving target, and based on economic times, conditions, interest rates, money printing, pandemics, all those things, <laughs> it changes. But what we can do is we can build portfolios that allow us to... Have less volatility, which gives us the ability to plan better, get that good, solid monthly income for people so they don't have to worry about looking over their shoulder all the time thinking, is this when the sword of Democles is going to get me?
1: Well, I understand that the 4% rule, I mean, it's really a reasonable place to start. But as you said, it varies according to the individual, and it doesn't fit every investor's situation. There are some caveats to that, and that would be that it applies to a specific portfolio composition. It does use historical market returns, and it assumes that you will have a 30-year time horizon. And a lot of folks don't have that 30-year time horizon. How do you realistically find out what somebody should withdraw from their income for it to last the the rest of their lifetime or the rest of their retirement.
3: Yeah, so what we have learned over the years of being in this business, and again, we've talked about this in the past, it's it's sort of a, a combination of math, experience, and science. Nobody has the working crystal ball. Nobody has the magical tea leaves that tell everybody exactly what's going to happen in the future. So what we do is we build portfolios that are going to allow us, and we, we think this is, we don't, we don't think it's true. We really know it's true. If we're built right inside a portfolio, we can probably even push it up to maybe 5%. And many times when we tell people that they're, you know, they're surprised that we can maybe do better than the 4% rule. Am I saying I always want everybody to hit and take 5% from their portfolio? No, if they want their portfolio to continue to grow and if it meets their budgetary needs, 4% is better, 3% is better, right? Because we have more chance to grow our money. But we certainly want people to live well during retirement, have a budget that makes sense for them. And so the 4% rule... Is it something that's in stone? Absolutely not. Is it something that's a good guideline? I would say yes,
1: absolutely. It is a good guideline. So the 4% rule is basically a very good place to start. We're talking with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about how much you can withdraw in retirement from your savings, the things that you put away for this rainy day that we call retirement that could last 20, 25, 30, 35 years. I would imagine that longevity, people are living so much longer these days, Randy and Jake, that that really does throw a little bit of a monkey wrench into that 4% rule, doesn't it?
3: It can, for sure. You know, the thing that, that is interesting as we look at retirement and retirement planning, nobody wants to come up short, right? We all want to make sure that we, when we draw our last breath, we aren't out on the street corner somewhere, mm-hmm. right? We want to make sure we're still at home snug in our beds, right? So what is the average age? Now, first of all, we need to know that nobody's average, right? Right. So we have people, I mean, I know you've got, a, was it an ant? that's 105? 105
1: years old, right? That's not average.
3: Five. And then we have people that are dying in their 50s. And so when we look at the average, the average age comes in, I think, now about 83 for females, 81 for a man is the average life expectancy. So nobody's average because I certainly don't want to be, well, you have hit your average age and you're out of money. Nobody wants to be there. But when we look at retirement planning really practically, we need to make sure that we are not going to deplete people's income ahead of time, especially because most people today, they want to leave money to their kids. It's something we ask everybody that comes in here. Is it important to you or how important is it to you to leave an inheritance to your kids? And most everybody wants to do that. So we need to plan for people to live to be 90, 95 years of age. And so we need to really approach this with with great care as to how we pull income, where we pull it from, when we pull it, the taxability of it. You know, if we need lump sum payments to buy cars, or if we have to do an addition to the house, if we have to replace a HVAC unit, all those things have to come into play as well as we look forward, you know, to growing old and growing old in place. Now, one of the things we do when we are building plans, we always, you know, build in some inflation looking forward. And we really like to build these portfolios to where we can keep the account growing, where we're not depleting it. Now, not always can we do that. Sometimes people have had some bad breaks, they've lost money, they haven't been able to save enough, they have had health issues and things where we really have to maximize and we may have to spend the money down some. But for the vast, vast majority of cases, we can keep people, you know, kind of where they came in or a little better or a lot better over a long time frame of, say,
1: 2020. 30 years. You mentioned taxes. Does the 4% rule really include things like taxes, investment fees?
3: Here's the thing I would say, you know, nobody knows where taxes are going in the right. future, except that they're probably going
1: up, right. you know. And
3: the 4% rule basically is what your net withdrawal is going to be. So it'll, it would be, a, I say net, it would actually be more of a gross number. So if you have a million dollars on deposit in your portfolio, it would be a $40,000 gross distribution, and you're going to pay taxes out of that.
1: We're talking about the 4% rule with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group. Gentlemen, is it realistic to live off your interest and not touch the principal these days?
2: I think that depends a lot on how much money you have saved for retirement, Jeff. And partially that is dependent on, you know, what age you are when you retire. You know, there's more and more people retiring younger and younger, and it's harder to save money to the point you need to and retire at 55 than it is at 65, simply because the compounding of interest over over your working career is such a massive thing. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. But I would say that most people will probably spend some of their money during retirement that being said if you're conservative and you're not taking you know if you're if you're withdrawing four percent you are not going to be spending your principal most likely but a lot of people come in wanting to withdraw five and six and seven and eight percent which in those cases you're definitely going to be spending principal so you know I think the four percent rule is a pretty good rule of thumb as a whole but it is not the be-all end all it's not the you know the hard and fast rule that you can uh, that applies in every situation you know there's a lot of other other factors that come into play
1: and it's not a number that is set in stone either. I would imagine that you may start with a 4% rule, but as someone goes on, if you think they have extreme longevity, like my aunt, you may want to reduce it to 2%. On the other hand, uh, sometimes people discover that they may not have as many days on this earth as they would like to have it, so it may go up to 6 7 8 9%. The bottom line is that there is no one boilerplate plan for anyone. It just depends upon your individual situation. If you'd like to get in, sit down with Randy and Jake and talk about it, income plan in retirement. How much can you withdraw from your retirement savings? Again, no cost, no obligation, and no judgment for doing that. Call 417-889-7233 to get your retirement income plan, your retirement roadmap, or an income distribution plan. Again, it's 417-889-7233. You can also request your no cost, no obligation, no judgment plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM, GF, where Springfield comes to talk.
0: Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd.
3: Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Randy and Jake. This is Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about risk tolerance. And we want to talk about this in three different ways, Jeff. What is your risk tolerance? What it should be? What is your capacity to accept risk? And the last one that most people don't ever talk about is, what's your emotional ability to take risk?
1: Right, and those are three very distinct things. And anyone who's invested in the market, even a short time, will likely have heard the term risk tolerance. So let's start off with the basics. What is risk tolerance generally a definition?
3: So for us, risk tolerance is one of those things where we say, okay, we're looking at how somebody is invested and how much money they want to withdraw from that and what their long-term desired outcome is. And based on that tolerance, we will set up a portfolio. Now, remember, Jeff, this risk tolerance is based on what we have assessed that the client needs to maintain a portfolio and take an adequate income out of it. We have not factored in yet their capacity at this point to take that risk or also their emotional ability to really be happy and cope with that risk.
1: So I've heard that risk tolerance and this is not correct is basically how much money am I willing to lose but but that is not it. It factors (laughs) in things such as age and time till retirement income needs and really the sleep at night factor too. So that's what risk tolerance is. You said that there were three different types of risks here. Risk tolerance the second one is risk capacity. How does risk capacity differ from risk tolerance?
2: Capacity really refers to your ability to take risk, less than how you feel about it or how you handle it emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know, some people just can't afford, given how much money they're taking, kind of like we talked about the 4% rule. If somebody is withdrawing five or 5.5% they're kind of pushing the edge of the envelope, they can't afford to take a hit because they won't be able to recover because they're pulling too much money. So that will diminish their risk capacity. How many years you're going to be taking income factors into your risk capacity. So capacity is kind of your ability to take risk. Tolerance is, is more how you feel about taking risk.
1: And then the third one is emotional risk tolerance. And I think that was what I was trying to get out there when, you know, you're thinking about how much money I'm willing to lose. That's not exactly what it is, or is it?
3: Well, so on the emotional side of things, I mean, let's face it, and you can probably ask anybody this, you know, if you had a billion dollars and you knew that the day was coming that you were going to lose it, would you be emotional about that? Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> you absolutely, would. yeah. And then
3: and then the other side of that is, well, if you could mitigate that some way, would you want to? And, of course, the answer is yes, that you would that you would want to do that. The hard part for a lot of people, and we hear this all the time, is, you know, I don't watch the news anymore because I can't take the uncertainty that it creates in my mind, right? Right. So the emotional side of things is, you know, if the market moves five percent downward, how does that make you feel? Nobody likes to lose money. Nobody wants to lose money. But some people can say, uh, you know, I know it'll be back. While others will go, what do you mean I lost five percent?
0: Yeah, <laughs>
3: you know, sure. And then there's the, then there's the people that say, well, it's only a paper loss until you cash it in, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> which I assure you that it is a loss. You know, <laughs> oh yeah. But the thing is, when it comes to risk tolerance, we like to ask people, you know, a lot of questions about. And of course, if I if I ask everybody and. and at core value, I'd say, well, how much money would you like to lose? Well, the answer is none. none. And if I could build a portfolio to where you had 100% safety, would you want that? Well, yeah, as long as I can make 8%. Well, you can't. we know that's not in the, yeah, we can't do that. Yeah. You know, if if we're looking at you know doing something that's absolutely fixed that has guarantees, and of course the guarantees only as good as what's backing it, which is the government in many cases, you know, and who knows what that is, is according to a lot of folks today. Mm-hmm. But you know, and then there's other people that I have a few people that come in once in a while say, well, you know what, I am really not risk averse at all. I don't care if you lose it all. Wow. Now, that's a different type of emotion, and we know that that, <laughs> at its core, is really not true. No, <laughs> you know? no. But they're trying to make a point that right. you know they're more aggressive and that maybe they can handle things emotionally better. And let's face it, we're all emotional creatures. I mean, we are, but we have different levels of capacity for that. And one of our jobs here, uh, as I often tell people, is you know the market we know is going to go up. We know the market's going to go down. What happens to a lot of people when the market is going up and all things are good, we have lots of risk tolerance. Man, we're just, give me all the risk you can give me, you know, it's all good. And then when the market starts to go down the other side, you know they're hanging on, and then about the time it gets to the bottom, they want to jump out, and then they're hurt. And so as the market runs back up on the other side, because it always does, they can't get in, can't get in, can't get in, because they're still emotionally hurt. And about the time the market's about to peak again, well, they give up and they get back in. And now they've missed 80% of the growth, and then they're on that roller coaster down the other side. So our job as advisors is to set up portfolios that give people adequate income, but to smooth out that ride, to give them a tolerable emotional and capacity and yielding ride that lets them stay in retirement and relax, and enjoy it.
1: And I've often heard that phrase no risk no reward and it applies to investing but it also applies to life I think if you go along and you're taking the safe route every single time you're not likely to get as far as you would had you take the little more riskier route and basically bet on yourself. Does risk tolerance sometimes vary widely between couples?
2: Absolutely, Jeff. In fact, I would say almost every single time. It's very rare that we have two people that feel exactly the same about risk. But, you know, I'll I'll tell you kind of how we handle it jokingly, and then I'll tell you how we actually handle it. But the first thing I say is that, you know, the husband wants to cater to the wife's risk tolerance so that she can sleep at night because if she's not sleeping at night guess who else isn't sleeping at night right and so happy wife happy life guys just Mm -hmm. uh channel that and uh you know for anybody out there that's been married 20 30 40 years they'll know that that's true the uh two most important words in a a husband's vocabulary is yes dear (laughs) okay now all that being said, yeah. um, we do need to account for both people's risk tolerance, risk capacity, all those types of things. Most people in this area do not do finances separately. They do finances together, meaning you know, they have one checking account that they operate out of, that kind of thing. If people have separate setups, meaning they have their own checking accounts, they pay for their part of the bills, that kind of thing, then obviously we can simply evaluate risk tolerances separately. But in the case where, where people are you know, more traditional marriage setup, um, it is important to account for both, but the biggest thing is is if we have one person that's extremely uncomfortable with the amount of risk, it's going to create a lot of problems. So we're going to probably err toward the person with the least capacity, least risk tolerance and kind of work with that as a framework. Just because the ability to stay invested is extremely important, especially when things are going awry, because those are the most important times. What you do when the market is really throwing a fit really determines your success long term. Are you going to be selling at the bottom or are you going to be buying at the bottom? And uh, it's easy to say buy low and sell high, but it can become very emotional in the moment. And so we need to make sure that we set up for success, meaning we're, we're not in a situation where every move feels like the end of the world.
1: Do you find that some people come into you and they say, Randy and Jake, I absolutely don't want to take any risk. I am not uh, risk tolerant whatsoever. But then when they talk to you, you realize that they are able to take some risk. What I mean is that there is there a difference between advisor risk tolerance and in consumer risk tolerance. Many times they might be different.
3: Right. There's a lot of difference there, Jeff. In fact, I'll tell you that the, the statement that I find sometimes amusing and then sometimes I think, wow, it's sad that we have not done a better job educating people. They come in and they say, well, I don't have any risk. I'm in mutual funds. Well, what are mutual funds? Groupings (laughs) of stocks and bonds. Well, yeah. Well, what has risk? Stocks and bonds. I mean, so it's interesting, though, uh, and I guess maybe the industry has said, hey, by diversifying inside mutual funds, you can reduce your risk. And that can be a true statement and is a true statement. It's better than having a single stock, right, or a single bond because you're diversified. But the fact that people just say, well, I I don't have any risk, I'm in mutual funds. Well, look at your 401k statement over the last year or so and see what the actual return was, and you will know differently. So, again, part of this is the education process, and we like to take time to educate people, talk to them about what an appropriate amount of risk is, and help them to understand Both emotionally and uh, the the capacity they have to take risk, and generally, once people understand it, it's much better for them. I I will get. I'll take case in point. You know, my wife, when I was first married to her, and I was working in my corporate job for twenty years. She said, we're not putting any money in that 401k. That's like gambling. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not doing that. And she would tell you the same thing if she was sitting right here right now, and I'm not picking on her. I'm just, but, you know, education is key in understanding risk and your risk capacity.
2: I also think, too, Jeff, that we need to understand the goals of each client in order to really understand the impact of their risk tolerance or risk capacity. Meaning, you know, if your goal is to leave a big inheritance to your kids and you really, that's your main thing, meaning, you know, you're not going to spend much money. You just want to grow that money and leave it to your kids or to charity or whatever. That really changes the risk profile versus somebody who's like, Hey, I want to spend as much as I can. I want to get as close as I can to spending all my money without spending it. Mm -hmm. That has a very different risk effect. And so you know, based on how all that plays out really factors in as well. And I think it's important that uh, I think there's a lot of advisors that don't do a good enough job really understanding who their client is and what's important to them. And I think that that's, that's as big a part of it as anything.
1: We're talking about how to determine your investment risk tolerance with Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group. If you'd like that question answered, you'd like to maybe banner back and forth a little bit and find out truly what your risk tolerance is. Simply give Randy and Jake a call at 417-889-7233. That is the number that you use for your no-cost, no-obligation, and most importantly, no-judgment financial plan. We call it sort of your retirement roadmap. Randy and Jake are sort of like Sherpas. I mean, they'll take you by the hand, and they'll walk you up that mountain we call retirement. Then they'll stay with you every step of the way just to make sure that you're safe. If you have a portfolio or an investment plan from someone else, you'd like a second opinion, again, Randy and Jake welcome that too. 417-889-7233 is the number to call for that consultation. Again, no cost, no obligation, and no judgment. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Well, Randy and Jake, we are out of time for this week. I certainly want to thank you for your time. But most of all, I really want to thank our fine listeners here in the last facet of sanity, Springfield, Missouri, for listening to us. And for Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade inviting you to get out and enjoy this great part of the country that we live in this weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.